The Martin Daniel Show. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Dead air. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dead Air Podcast. I'm Nick, and I'm pushing the boundaries of this thing called my life. And that is Rob. This week's podcast is a bit special. We don't have any film reviews, we don't have any technology news, we don't even have any regular news. What we do have is an interview with a very special person. Rob? Martin Daniels. It's taken us a while to get him on the show, but now we've got him on the show, we just couldn't get rid of him. An hour and a half we were on the phone with him. I've had to do loads of editing. It's true. He did have a tendency to talk a lot. All interesting stuff, though. Absolutely. That's the problem we were faced with with this week's podcast. Do we cut Martin Daniels down to allow room for other stuff, or do we leave all the Martin Daniels stuff in? Well, we've made the decision to leave the Martin Daniels stuff in and leave the other stuff out. We hope it's the right decision, and we'd like you to now listen and enjoy our interview with Mr. Martin Daniels. Dead Air, Dead Air Podcast, all the latest news and a little bit of fun on the Dead Air. Hello. Hello, is that Martin? Yes. Hi, it's Nick from the Dead Air Podcast. How are you doing? Very well, sir. How are you? I'm good, good, good. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. And Well, it's, it's you know, at last. At last. I've got Rob here uh, with me. I will uh, let him say hello as well. Hi, Martin. Hey, Rob. How are you doing, man? Not too bad. Good. I remember you way back from, uh, from when you were doing stuff with your dad on the Paul Daniels show, because obviously I, we're both fans of Paul Daniels obviously and we're both fans of the show so that's where we first knew you from and right. um, that's that's what that's really how I sort of got to know you and, and then of course you went on and did the uh, game for a laugh didn't you which is the other yeah. thing that, we, that we've seen you in but um, yeah Rob help me out here I'm, I'm right, oh, so we should we start the interview from here then should we well I don't know what, why not we're yeah, why inter- not? aren't we interviewing him now well you know <laughs> Have we, have we not? Are we not started? We, we've started. We are recording. Oh, we are recording. We are recording. Oh, that's, everything. that's let, let, yeah. Let, let's hit, let's fire a few questions. The thing is, we're nervous <laughs> because you're famous, and we we get nervous when we talk to famous people. I'm not famous. I I, I, I was once for a very short while, but uh, but I'm 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 not you know, to be famous. It's different now, isn't it? Fame is a is a is a strange thing. It's um, it's here today and 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 gone tomorrow. It seems when I uh, when I first started um, as a performer, uh, the thought of of telly was was way off, way in the distance. I mean, I started very young. I mean, I was fifteen when I started working uh, backstage, um, learning my craft, and stupidly thinking, "Oh, I'll learn my apprenticeship." And then at seventeen, I became a stand-up performer in my own right and at the time i was thinking well you know maybe if i i'll i'll if i can carry on working regularly then once i hit the age of about 30 then i will start to uh, approach tv people and and try to to see if i can get in and and get on as it were and then uh, i was doing summer season in blackpool at the north pier and uh, i always count summers i can always remember my birthdays in august so thinking about about summer seasons, I always think of, you know, how old was I then? And then I can remember the date. So I had my 21st birthday in uh, in Blackpool. And uh, it was during that season that I was seen by the people from then London Weekend Television and uh, was offered a game for a laugh, which obviously I would have been mad to turn down. But uh, it wasn't really on my on the horizon for for things at all. I, I thought it was going to take a lot longer than that um, before I was um, established, if you like, on television. And so, the age of yeah, twenty one. Wow. I uh, I had my first uh, my first series. That's amazing. Uh, and that was that was back in the day when you know we we're talking about seventeen million viewers uh, every Saturday night. You know, which is that's bigger big. to put it into comparison is is sort of bigger than Britain's Got Talent final or more viewers than the X Factor final. Yeah, it's all diluted now, isn't it? There's too many channels and things. So, but it, 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 it's 
part and parcel of the way things have gone, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and that lasted. And, for uh, you know, for uh, while that was on, I was, uh, you know, if you like, famous. But it's amazing how quick uh, I found it quite a shock. It was about three or four weeks into uh, Game for a Laugh that it was quite difficult to walk down the street. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't, you know, you really couldn't get very far at all. What would happen? And then, would people would people well, come and stop you and talk to you, or would they just point and and? I mean, describe what happens when you become that famous. Well, it, it's it's fame in, in different ways, isn't it? Um, because I was twenty one uh, and young and blonde and uh, and beautiful, um, <laughs> I got a different kind of attention. I think I was the first sort of young presenter on television, because up until then, you know. Uh, People who presented children's programs, you know, your Blue Peters and, and such like, uh, they looked like school teachers yeah. rather than rather than students. Yeah. And uh, so it was the same sort of attention. I was getting the same sort of attention um, then as, as I guess, a, you know, a pop star would. Um, I... It's, it sounds ridiculous to, to, to talk about it now, um, but I, I literally had teenage girls fainting and um, and screaming and gangs of them chasing me down the street and things like that. Where um, yeah, no, are they now? Uh, but um, but no, that was that was the kind of attention it, it was getting. Um, the first big live show I did after Game for Laugh had gone out was uh, myself and Lenny Henry did a, a tour because Lenny and I we'd done the summer season in Blackpool. Yeah. Became became good pals, uh, and we decided that we'd we'd do this tour together just so we could uh, have a laugh and mess about. Um, I just remember the first night going out on stage. Um, Lenny was in the wings on his knees, crying with laughter because you, you tend to do that when you you see a fellow artist struggle. <laughs> um, but I was out there trying to to tell jokes and and be funny, and uh, the audience. There was a lot of, uh, again, this sort of teeny bopper age group that uh, that was sort of screaming at me, wow. which is one thing if you're singing a song, <laughs> but if you're talking and trying to be funny and tell a joke and there's people screaming at you every 30 seconds, it really plays havoc with the timing. What's the craziest thing you ever did on uh, Game for a Laugh then? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I, I, it was more... I hate to take the blame for this, but I think Game for a Laugh was the start of what nowadays is called people shows. Um, Game for Laugh was dubbed the show where the people are the stars. Yeah. But what people tend to forget is there was professional presenters and a very professional, hard-working production team behind the scenes that would spend hours, hours, days working things out, looking at angles, what might happen here. If this happens, then we're going to head in that direction and try to plan for that. Or if this happens, you know, we're going to be going in this direction. Uh, and sadly, what's happened now is they've cut out the professional production team and they've cut out presenters that can, you know, fill the gap, make it entertaining on a, on a, on a dead bit. And now they just point the cameras at the people and let them go. Um, and I, and I, I think that it's we're sadly lacking. We're missing something now. Mm. But uh, but crazy. I think my favourite one. Um, I was asked oddly enough. I, I interviewed Jeremy Beadle uh, about three or four weeks before he uh, he passed away, and uh, we were talking about this. And uh, uh, and he he asked me about my uh, my favourite stunt. It was we found a guy. It's a stunt man who they've done it many times I think it was first seen in a James Bond film where they drive a car up a ramp and then they drive it on two wheels yeah yeah well we found a guy that could do that with a, an articulated lorry wow and uh, so we set up the cameras in, in there and we got a, a guy who was a uh, an inspector a mechanic lorry inspector that was always this is the thing we game for last these people were nominated because they were they were usually always pulling pranks on other people, uh, and they somehow wanted, get you know, to, to get get their own back for want of a better word. Yet, yeah. so we got this guy strapped in the lorry, uh, and it was timed perfectly because just as the lorry, our lorry, set off, there was two other lorries in front, facing opposite directions, and as the lorry went towards them, they parted to reveal the ramp, so the guy couldn't see the ramp 
until literally maybe four, five seconds before the, the truck hit it. Uh, and then up it went on its side. And it was just, it's just the shots from inside with this guy. He is hanging on. He is terrified. Um, the beat machine was, was in, was in override. Yeah. Uh, and he got out. He was absolutely shaking, shaking like a leaf. And, uh, it was just the, he took it so well because there were so many people at this place where he worked. Uh, that were sort of hiding, and then when when we came out with the cameras and, and a whole horde of people who were were waiting to to get revenge on this guy, uh, it was it was just just really it was good. It was funny, uh, and it was nice. What was it like Nothing to work with Jeremy Beadle? Uh, Jeremy was uh, was very clever, very clever man indeed. Uh, he gave me the best piece of advice. Uh, for for working in television, you know, because don't forget, Game for a Laugh had, had already been on for it had been on for a couple of years yeah. with the original lineup of Jeremy Beadle, uh, Matthew Kelly, Henry Kelly, and Sarah Kennedy. Yeah, uh, and then they decided, right, we're having we're not doing any more, and uh, and they took it off air, and then some years later, somebody at the studio said we should bring it back. Um, Jeremy was the only original member that uh, that stayed. So now this was this was Jeremy's baby as well. I mean, he'd, he'd come up with with the concept um, because they'd already done a pilot at the uh, at the BBC, which they called Gotcha, which then became Norm Edmonds picked up the the title Gotcha. Um, they did title the BBC. The BBC turned it down, and uh, and he took it to ITV. So this was very much his baby, and he presented it, and it had become quite popular so then for him to accept three new faces um was was quite um, magnanimous on 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 his part and and he really did welcome us with with open arms but the uh, best piece of advice and i would pass it on to anybody working in television now when you're in the studio when you're not busy everybody else is and that means you know let them get on with with stuff you, i see a lot of people in the studios uh, or, as I say, they're not busy, and they start walking, you know, messing about in rehearsals, walking into the back of a shot, you know, sweeping up, pulling faces at the camera, and it's it's just leave it alone, let people get on with the job, and then do your funnies on the night. What happens if the, let's say, the victim decided yeah. that they didn't want to participate in the program after you'd gone to all the trouble and you'd done all the stunt and everything? Did that ever happen? Uh, if, if that happened, what you do in television, if you film, you, you can't put somebody on air like that without them agreeing to it. This, that situation, it, it never happened. Um, in, in, in the years of, of, of doing it, um, it, not once did anybody say, oh, no, I'm not signing that. I don't want, the, I don't want that to be, to be shown. Oh, wow. Um, so... You know, but, but I mean, if that had been the case, the the whole thing would have been would have been scrapped, and uh, you, we would have been unable to, uh, to to broadcast it. Okay. We we did another one with a with a guy with a car, and it was a, a stuntman, a guy called Rocky, who was quite a famous stuntman, because they were filming Dempsey and Makepeace at the time, uh, and he just bought a new car, and uh, and this was his pride and joy. So, I mean, you have to do something that people care about. Otherwise, they'll just go, oh, well, you know, I'm not bothered anyway. Uh, and the whole thing falls flat. It's like when we landed an alien. Uh, we landed a, a UFO spaceship in somebody's back garden. You know, one is you, you, you can only do that. You need a keen gardener to start with, somebody who, who, who's put a lot of work and effort on, into the garden. Um, so they're thinking, oh, first reaction is, my God, what's that in the garden? Um, but then... The, the, I know I'm going off track here, but the alien one um, took us in a completely different direction because we it was a lady uh, who was, a, as I say, a mad keen garden, a beautiful garden, uh, and we built this full a, a spaceship um, and uh, and landed it in 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 her back garden. Uh, all she heard was noise and saw lights and smoke. Uh, now she didn't run out going, "Oh my God!" You know this. This alien craft has, uh, has, has crushed me, me flowers. Um, she, uh, she, she went outside and, uh, and, and she started talking to the, to the spaceship. I remember it now. Oh wow! Uh, and because uh, the, the, 
the alley, we had, we had the alley, the, the door opened and there was lots of smoke so you couldn't see <laughs> too closely uh, the alien there. And it was beautiful because you know, as the alien came out, you know, if this was you and a, a, and a spaceship landed in your garden and the door opened and an alien is approaching the door, what would your first words be? I wouldn't say anything, I'd just first, run. Her <laughs> first words, she said... Would you like a cup of tea? Yeah, I remember. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so British as well. Yes, I mean, God, blimey. You know, if, if he'd done it in the States, they'd probably been running for the shotgun. Yeah, but no uh, would you like a cup of tea? It was priceless. <laughs> now, you've also worked right. on your own show, the uh, the Lingo uh, quiz show. Yes. How did that come about? Uh, um, uh, probably somebody was unavailable. Um <laughs> I just got a, a, a call um, saying it was the Thames Television. I seem to have uh, made a career of closing down uh, television stations that no longer exist. Um, it was just uh, my management company at the time said, uh, "Can you go to Thames Television for a uh, to, for a meeting?" And uh, I said, "Right, yet yeah, what's it about?" Um, or they've said they'd rather explain everything when you get there. Uh, went and they, uh, uh, and that was that. That was lingo, which uh, I feel a bit peeved about lingo actually, because oh. um, uh, we did the show. Now lingo, the, the concept of it, because it it only we only it only ran for one series. Um, lingo, it's a mixture of language and bingo. Yeah, and uh, we, we we did that and. Uh, Quite unheard of for a for a game show first series. Usually, a game show your series goes out. It's series two before people discover it, and and it starts to climb up the ratings. Um, season three, hopefully, you know you're doing well. But um, lingo and on the first series, we uh, we made it into the top ten, wow. um, and it was actually um, number two in the game show chart. They separate it and put all the game shows together and uh, as I say it was number two in the in the game show chart uh, there was a show called Every Second Counts that was number four <laughs> can't remember who did that that, that was horrible that show um, <laughs> no it was very but, good uh, so we uh, we did that and the producer director were calling me you know saying oh this is unheard of the ratings are we're, we're through the roof on this you know um, we're going to make some changes for the second series with you know Slight changes. We're going to modify it a little bit, and and this, that, and the other. And so, great. We start recording in in May, fabulous. And then, uh, what's well, like April came, and uh, right coming to Thames Television, I went to see the boss, and he said, uh, "We're not going to do another series." Wow. Uh, what? Uh, it's nothing to do with you. The show's been, you know, you were you were fine. The the show was good. The ratings were good. Um, it's just that the heads of department have changed, um, and uh, the the new people coming in, uh, they want to put. They, you know, we need to make room for for their ideas. So it's just a case of last in, first out. Blimey. And this this was purely down to you know new broom coming in. Uh, who was like, well, I, I've got these ideas and, and I want to make my stamp because otherwise, if they don't do something quickly, they feel like they're, they're not justifying their, their jobs and the paychecks uh, and so they need to bring their hit um, straight away. Mm. And, uh, uh, it, you know, again, sadly, that was uh, that was Thames they, to, and the, the new shows that they brought in didn't really hit the spot with the, with the people and... Uh, sadly lost its uh, franchise. Mm. I'm you... not saying that's down to me, yeah. of course. <laughs> no, no, no. But I wanted to just talk for a second about the fame thing, because in the beginning I said that you were famous and you said that you're not famous anymore. But I think that there's a different kind of fame that we don't really see now, which is this um, the longevity of, a, of someone who's famous. It seems to... It, it just doesn't <laughs> seem to happen. People of your generation... I think people know who you are even now. You know, if we ask someone, you know, they would know who you were. But I don't think that's going to happen with the people who are on television now. They they seem to be very, very short-lived. You know, they're, they're famous for sort of 
you know, a year and then you never hear of them again. Do you know what I mean? It's I, a, I know what you mean, yeah. It's a different kind of fame. It's like they're trying to pack more in and you don't get that same kind of longevity that you used to get. Well, if I'm honest, I think once I got myself a, you know, a series um, and, well, one, two, once, once I'd done, you know, three or four series... Um, I thought, oh, this is it now. You know, I've uh, I'm, I'm here. I've uh, I've got my feet under the table. I'm established, and that was it. But um, it's this sort of X factor syndrome, isn't it? You know, where the person wins, uh, you're not allowed to see them for for 12 months, so that they can re- release their new single when the next X factor has started, when everybody's talking about it again, um, uh, and and then they get one. By definition, they get one hit out of it, majority of the time. Uh, and then it's like, you know, the king is dead, long live the king, move over, there's somebody else coming along. But uh, it, the ones who've done best out of the show are the ones who, who didn't win. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't just happen with talent shows like that. Even with your sort of standard TV programs that have presenters, they just seem to come and go very quickly and they don't stay around very long. Now, when you, you you've you've sort of gone from being super famous and being followed around on the street by teenage girls, and then it's kind of you know waned as time's gone on. What kind of effect does that have on someone when you're, you know, you're? Did a day come when you sort of you were walking down the street and you thought, oh, I'm not famous anymore, or do you know what I mean? Are you, are you do you yeah. still get recognised now? What what kind of impact does that have on someone per, on a personal level? Well. It, uh... I, it, it, I noticed it very early um, because, as I was saying, Game for Laugh went out about three or four programmes into it. Uh, the recognition starts and then it then it it, it builds. Then um, it compounds week on week as as your as your programme is is on air. And then what's strange is probably the show will finish, and you're not on you're not on TV every week. Um, you're not you know, slapping people around the face. And within two months of the show finishing, it's gone back to, like, the beginning of the show, where the hysteria's gone and and you're into the people elbowing each other and and pointing and, and, and whispering. And then couple of months goes by the next series starts and wallop it, it, it's off again you know wow. um it, it it it's odd that uh, if you're not on every week they'll go i know you from somewhere don't i <laughs> um but if you've just been on you know within the last couple of days they'll they'll oh yes that's I, I i know where i know you from now um otherwise you get people coming up saying do you live near uh so-and-so um you go drinking in the rose and crown i've seen your face somewhere um they 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 know they know it but they they don't know where from do do people ever just say hello to you because they think that they know who you are so that they think oh i better say hello to him because i know him when in fact (laughs) you don't know them they just does that ever happen to you because that well yeah i mean it might it might be me forgetting but you know sometimes you can you know walk along and what is a stranger to me uh, we'll just say, hello, Martin. And I just say, I'll say, hello, how are you? All right. And I'm thinking, now, what's happened there? <laughs> have, have they recognised me or, or have I just forgotten them? Yeah. And so uh, so just in case it's the, it's the latter, I'll, uh, I'll, you know, hello, how are you? Um, how's it going? And uh, on my way. But do you, you still must get recognised now, though, surely. Because you, you haven't people... really changed much, to be honest with you. You're looking, you don't but... look very different. His long hair's gone. Yeah. The long hair's gone. But do um... you still get recognised? Uh, occasionally, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, um... you were on television not so long ago because you did the Penn and Teller show. Yes. And you must... I mean, usually, uh, uh, it, more often than not, uh, it's an interesting thing I, I used to do with, when I was doing a radio show, when I was interviewing celebs uh, i would always ask them you know what do people shout in the street yeah um because it's, it's always uh, it's always different um majority of me now i get to how's your dad <laughs> um and now i used it and sometimes um i used to get uh, not a lot yes and I, I remember going to my dad saying you know look this isn't fair You've created this catchphrase, 
and from the catchphrase, you you got the fame and uh, and the recognition, uh, the work, the money, uh, and everything else that that goes with it. Um, all I'm getting is the downside. I'm getting the people shouting not a lot in the street. I said, it's, it's, you know, I'm reaping no benefits from this. And uh, and he said, oh, he said, well, you know, he said, don't worry about that. Um, he said, sometimes when he walks down the street, people shout, not like that, like that. <laughs> Because they they think he's Tommy Cooper. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't get it, but uh... but <laughs> having having someone like him as your dad must have had a, a, an effect on on your career choice, surely. Because would you do you think that you still would have been a stand up and gone down that route if your dad hadn't come from an entertainment background himself? Yes. Oh, you still would have. Yes. Wow. Um, well, I'm I'm the the middle one of three boys. Yeah, and I suppose if it was one of these sort of you know inevitabilities, you know your your path is mapped out for you. Um, chances are, then it probably would have been um, my older brother that would have followed down that line. Is that Paul? It's usually yeah. Because we, we've actually it, met him. He doesn't say a lot, does he? No, he's a very quiet man. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. I meant, I'm not. I don't mean were you following in your father's footsteps. What I'm asking you is, if your dad hadn't been from that industry, would you still have gone into it yourself? From the magic industry. Uh, from the entertainment industry. Yes, I believe so. It, it, it was something. Um, my my mum and dad parted when I was five, coming up five. And then communications back then weren't as, as they are now. We didn't have a telephone. Um, Dad was uh, constantly moving about. He wasn't famous. He was working um, clubs, um, the social clubs, doing sort of little summer seasons off the beaten track, you know, um, Channel Islands and, and that sort of thing. And uh, and so I didn't, I didn't really see an awful lot of him and didn't have an awful lot of, of contact. Um, occasionally, uh, I say if he was doing a summer season or if it, he, he was going to be doing uh, a week or two weeks at uh, one of the, the bigger clubs of the day, um, then I could, uh, you know, I could write him a letter. Wow. But, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about a boy between the age of five and 15 um, are not really great letter writers. Um Occasionally, if Dad was sort of heading up north and passing by, uh, he would detour and, and call in, uh, usually unannounced, or certainly from my point of view. Um, I would get home from school maybe, and uh, and he'd be he'd be there, uh, you know, a couple of hours, and then uh, he'd have to disappear, go off to uh, off to the to the club or whatever he was he uh, was, and then literally months. Months would pass um, before I would, uh, you know, maybe get an afternoon with him uh, again. And so I don't believe that there was a massive influence uh, there uh, at that time. Um, the, from the when I when I was ten, uh, myself and my older brother, so as we were deemed old enough to look after ourselves, we we went to uh, to Jersey for a couple of weeks, uh, which was a terrifying experience um, at that age because it was sort of 72, 73. Nobody was into international travel. Um, I was nine because my birthday was just coming up. Um, my brother's three years older than me, so we were nine and 12. And uh, my mum put us on an aeroplane at Teesside Airport and my dad was waiting at Jersey. Um, which I, I say was a, a, a terrifying uh, experience for a for a young boy, saying goodbye to his mum and uh, and going forth and uh, meeting a dad who he hadn't really spent much time with for five years. Wow! And uh, we spent for I don't know two or three weeks uh, of the summer holidays uh, there, going to the going to the show uh, of, a, of an evening with uh, with dad, you know. Either sitting at the back and uh, and watching the show most nights, 
because uh, it wasn't a theatre, it was a, a cabaret situation, so there wasn't much of a, of a backstage environment. Um, and my, But sort of the difference between myself and my brother, my brother would be off, it was in a hotel, so he would go off and uh, uh, hang around with the other kids around the pool of, a, of an evening, table tennis and that sort of thing. Uh, and I was just, just glued to the stage every night, just watching either from, from the side um or or from from the back of the back of the venue I, oh, that's all i wanted to do was just watch the show and so i think that was uh, you know and i just i wanted i've all, i can't cannot remember a time when i didn't want to be in show business uh, i'm not quite sure that back then that i knew what i was going to do <laughs> um i just knew uh, this is this is the the job i want to do i don't know whether i'm going to be acting singing dancing magic in um, joking or what, but you know, I somehow, I just, you just I wanted, I just wanted an in somewhere. Yeah. Can you remember your first gig? Do you remember the first time you went in front of an audience? Oh yeah, yeah. What were you doing? Um, it was uh, it was a summer season in um, in Newquay in Cornwall. Um, you doing stand up? Uh, it was mostly um, it was mostly magic then. Right, and uh, thankfully, I only had to do a, a twenty-minute, twenty-minute set, and so it, it started out with. See, I, I sort like a lot of people, a lot of comedians, a lot of people started out doing something else. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's different. You've got the comedy clubs, and you can you can do five minutes and and, and build up then. Um, but comedy clubs weren't in existence. So there's a you know Russ Abbott was a drummer. Wow, I um, know that. he was a the, the Black Abbotts were were you know a, a, a group yeah. uh, doing you know covers of, of popular songs, uh, and then started doing comedy and mucking about you know the Grumbleweeds uh, were a were a band, and between songs started doing doing comedy and voices impressions and things and took over and this this. They used to call them show bands, didn't they, back then? Mm. But, um, yeah, I was doing... So my first 20-minute act, as it were, started with um, me doing magic, uh, but not talking. Right. Um, because I thought that, um, you know, give myself, you know, it was a couple of tricks and then while the music played. Uh, that was sort of, I don't know, five minutes, if you like. And then I'd step forward, oh, thank you very much, uh, here's another trick. Uh, and I would talk my way through through a couple of tricks for ten minutes, and then um, it finished off uh, with a, another. The term it's silent magic, but again, music playing. Uh, and to make it a little bit different from the beginning, what I what I did was um, I had the the singer from the the show, the the lady singist, and. Uh, so the curtains opened and she was sitting on a stool and she sang the song and I stood stood next to her and uh, and did some some magic. And was uh, was was that it? I mean, did you get the buzz, the uh, the the sort of the audience buzz and think, oh, this is it? Or did you start having second thoughts or what? <laughs> um, no, because in that little sort of ten minute section in in the, in the middle, I'd always been a, a comedy buff. You know, I love all the old stuff. I've got reams and reams of, uh, of videos, DVDs uh, from old Variety days, uh, Lauren Hardy, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton. You know, uh, and I've always I've got books on books and books on on these people. Um, so I'd always loved the the, the comedy aspect. Uh, and now, thankfully, the the show it was in one place, in just one little theatre in Newquay for um, eighteen weeks, I believe. Um, so it was it was six nights a week, and um, so I was able to, you know, night after night, uh, feel comfortable within that. The one thing I do feel about remember about the very first show was uh, was that feeling of calm on stage. Uh, as I as I finished me me magic with the with the music playing, and I stepped forward and grabbed the microphone. Uh, I had some some family in the in the front row. My grandparents, my dad's mum and dad, um, and I think my dad's manager. Some people from his management were there, and uh, I think I remember. You know, as I as I stepped forward and took a bow, 
from from what I'd just done. As I was bent down, it was only a little venue. Uh, I was sort of in their faces, and uh, and I think I just looked looked at them and smiled and said, "Relax, it's okay." Mm-hmm. Um, they they looked quite nervous, and and I, I just felt, "Hey, you know, this is I feel totally totally calm, totally at at, at ease," and uh, and that was it. So so what happened there was. Uh, as the season went on, uh, that ten-minute bit, instead of going straight into the to a trick, um, as my confidence grew, the odd funny line was coming out, uh, and even even jokes would uh, would would creep in. And then uh, again, as the weeks went past, the uh, company manager, the manager in charge of the show, came to me and he said, "Look, you know, you, you, you're developing very well. We're pleased about that." Um, it's just that uh, you're supposed to be doing 20 minutes, and you're with the with the jokes you've added and one thing or another, um, it, it's it's crept up. You're now doing you're doing 25 minutes. He said, so can you uh, pull it back to 20 again because we're we're messing up the uh, the timings on the show. And so I had a, a little think about what I was going to to do with it, and I decided to take a trick out so that the, the, the comedy bits could could stay. Uh, and, and that was the, the beginning of it, really. Um, and as time went on, the, the, the tricks got less and the, the, the comedy got uh, longer. So you definitely class yourself more of a comedian uh, now than, than a magician. Yes, I, I, I'm a comedian that, that does magic. It does magic. Um, yeah, I mean, in my sort of standard one-hour set, um, if you like, um, I have only I only do two tricks. Getting on and getting off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, getting paid for it. Um, what do you think of uh, the modern magicians like the David Blaine and the um, Dynamos? Uh, uh, you know these kind of street magicians. What's your take on that? Well, I, I mean, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I did uh, when I was doing. What was it now? The Laughter Show, Les Dennis, uh, for the BBC. Uh, on one series, the producer came. He said, "I've had a right. I've had an idea." Um, he said, "We're going to combine um, two two skills of yours." Uh, he said, "One, we're going to take the like what you did on Game for a Laugh, uh, out in the street, stopping people and and doing stuff, uh, and the magic." And uh, and so we again we went out, we went on the street and. Uh, uh, and filmed a whole day of me doing just doing the same trick over and over and over again, uh, and then the next day we did a different trick over and over and over again um, until we had enough material for the uh, for the series. So hang on, when, and, sorry, uh, when when was this? This was uh, early nineties. So you were the first street magician. Yes. Wow, that's that's an exclusive for the Dead Air podcast. Um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Carry on. What happened? So, so we we did that, and uh, and then somebody high up in the BBC said, "Oh, we don't like this. Um, it, it it looks, uh, you know, it it looks cheap and and common. Um, he's, he's just out in the street stopping people and doing tricks on them. Uh, we don't want any more, thank you." And so I didn't do any more. And then um, I don't know, six, seven, eight years later, um, somebody. Um, came on television with this brand new concept of street magic, um, and I, I did have a little chuckle to myself. Yeah, but that's how it came about. Was the two, you know, game for a laugh, and and the fact that I presented game for a laugh, and the fact that I could do magic, uh, and that's where the idea came from. You've also been involved in a lot of writing for TV shows. Probably the comedy behind it. Uh, yes, I've done a bit. Done a bit um, with. Uh, but I started out doing um, every second counts. Um, my dad's uh, quiz show, um, but that was only because I think one day my dad had rung me up saying, "Hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Oh, do you want to meet for lunch? I'm I'm in the studio today. Why don't you come down?" And uh, and he was doing every second counts. And uh, of course, with with that, you the contestants. Um, somebody's talked to them. One of the researchers talked to them weeks beforehand, uh, and puts together a little sort of two-page biography on them and, you know, about what they do and what their hobbies are or things like that. And I was just sat there bored waiting with my dad and 
and I read through one of the uh, biographies and uh, and I'd scribbled some notes in the uh, in the margin. And my dad was saying, you know, what's that? Uh, and I said, oh, look, you know, tonight, you know, when you're chatting to the person, when they say that this is their job, how about this joke to, you know, to underline it and, and there's, there's this to go with that and that to go with that. And uh, so he said, yeah, right, hang on a minute. He called in the writer and the producer and we sat down and, and did it. And then we went, the writer said, oh, hang on, <laughs> give him give him the other biographies as well. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and the and the questions and anything else we can uh, uh, we can we can go through, and so did it and and they recorded the stuff, and then uh, I, I said, oh, do you want me to pop in next week then uh, when you when you're doing it, and I'll you know we'll we'll have a, a read through and a, and a laugh and a giggle and we'll add some comedy into it, uh, fabulous, um, did it. And then again, I was going to go in the following week, and it was uh, it was my dad, bless him, who said, "Hang on a minute." Said to the producer, he said, "If he's coming in every week um, to do this, you know, why don't we pay him? We should be paying him." So uh, I think at the time I was doing little little clubs and and bits and pieces. They, I think they gave me the the equivalent of of what I was what I would have earned that night appearing in a club. Um, I got for uh, for adding the material. I had a chat with your dad when he was doing a show for us a few months ago, and one of the things he he told me was that he does the trick with the the rings. And yes, he says the rings. That, uh, you more or less wrote the script for that. Uh, yes. Um, gosh, he's finally admitted it, has he? Um, he didn't well, he told us not to tell anyone. <laughs> But we have now. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. Uh, it's a routine that he's he's done for uh, for many many years. Gosh, I don't know, twenty five years maybe, twenty five years. Um, done on television, done all around the world, to, and and has had enormous praise for it. Um, but but yeah, I, I it was that showdown in uh, Newquay suggested to me. You know, working some there's certain tricks that are, are known as classics of magic, linking rings being one of them, and um, and I sort of started to uh, you know I developed the the routine. After the eighteen weeks, I went back to to him. He was at the Prince of Wales Theatre at the time. Showed him how the routine had developed and uh, and what I'd done with it uh, over the course of the the summer. Uh, and he said, "I like that." He said, "Do you mind if I do it?" Um, I said, "No." And uh, and he put it in the show that night, and uh, as I say, that was thirty years ago. Well, and and did, did, uh, he, did he pay you for your trouble? No. Oh, he still owes you then. <laughs> so th- thirty years of doing your trick, he must owe you a few bob by now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, over the years, I've I've been able to, uh, you know, when he had his warehouse, I've been able to uh, to dip in and and borrow props and and things like that. So. Uh, to all balances we, out. We 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 still do it today. Yeah, I mean, I, I we've been I'm working uh, with a working a card trick uh, with a something called a Svengali deck, which is a, an old old principle. I saw his um, YouTube video of that. He he did credit you on that. Uh, did he? I was going to say we came up. I I came up with this thought of uh, of, of using the the box to do it to make it like a substitution trunk effect with uh, with with playing cards and and then same thing he come to me and said i like that can i use it i said yeah so what are you doing now yourself for have you got plans for more tours or by yourself or yeah just just i'm working away i do a lot of uh, a lot of corporate events which sadly are sort of you know don't get seen by the public but uh, i do a, a lot of those uh, i'm trying to get a, a a documentary off the ground at the moment. That's my Ooh, uh, my new baby. About? It's uh, it combines my my two uh, passions or three passions, if you like. Um, it's uh, magic, comedy, and motorbikes. The idea will be that Ross and I will travel around India on motorbikes uh, because motorbikes, cars, cars and vans are too sterile. You know, you can you can shut yourself into a an air conditioned four by four and go anywhere in the world. Um, whereas with motorbikes, you you feel you feel the air, you feel the temperature, you smell things. Because it's a vulnerable form of transport, you need people. It, it puts you more in contact with people. You're not whizzing by them behind glass. Uh, so the idea is again we ride around uh, India on on motorbikes. Uh, in search of the Indian rope trick. Wow! So it's not a it's not a travel program where you know 
here we are at point A and we have to make it to point B and, and this is uh, this is the story along the way, um, it will be um, like a treasure hunt, a quest. A lot of research. Um, so, well, most of it's done. Most of it's done. Um, uh, you know, starting out to, to talk to people um, of Indian descent in this country who have... You know, oh, yes, my, you know, I remember a grandfather or a great uncle talking about this. I never saw it myself, but, and then uh, then off we go and, and again, follow the track. But along the way, you know, obviously there would be a lot of comedy, a lot of fun involved and and also a lot of um, looking at the street magicians that, uh, that are in India, the mystics, the snake charmers, the fakirs, the bed of nails and... Um, sadhus and, and and things like that. Looking at the uh, the mystical side of uh, of the mystic, they they have a bit of a re- bad reputation, though, don't they? As a kind of a scamming tourists rather than entertaining. Is is that a fair statement? I think that happens uh, pretty much all over the world. Um, uh, certainly in countries where where money is uh, is scarce, um, you you got your your scams. Um, you, but they're usually things that um, that like my dad covered in the in the bunko booth, you know, the, the find the lady, uh, find the pee under the shells, and and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, most of the the street magicians um, are literally that, you know, the same as the buskers you get in in Golden Garden, for example. Um, they'll they'll put on their show a couple of times a day. They'll have the the snake charmers, and uh, and you you pay for the privilege of. Uh, of watching and, and joining in. Have you been to India before? Uh, only briefly, only briefly. Uh, I went to uh, to Mumbai. It's like no place on earth that I've been to. I mean, I've been to, a, you know, my kids are always joking with me when they're coming home with their geography homework. Dad, have you been there? Yes. Have you been there? Yes. But uh, but India is, uh, is, is completely different. I arrived... At the, I landed at the airport at about eleven o'clock at night, I think. So by the time I got through, it was pushing midnight, and the place was heaving <laughs> outside the airport. Absolutely, I've never seen so many people in one place, um, and they're all, you know, they're pushing and shoving. But in a, it's it, if you if you had that scenario here, you'd think, oh my god, it's all going to kick off in a minute. There's going to be a big fight or. You know, someone's going to get hurt or whatever, but it, it, it it's not that. And and I think again, I, I find it strange in India, in that um, I don't know whether it's Britain or or Europe or, or what, but it's sort of you have your personal space. It's a little sort of invisible ring around yourself. That if you're standing in a crowd, there's that sort of uh, there's a, there's a little, there's that gap around each person. Um, and it, it seemed like uh, when I was in India, that that didn't exist. Um, everybody, <laughs> everybody was very close, and you know they sort of huddled together, and, and that, that doesn't seem to matter. But people, you know, the, the, everybody was walking in the uh, in the road. Um, I don't know what the traffic accidents are like there. Everybody was walking in the road, and I, and I asked my, I said to my driver, "Gosh, you know, everybody's walking down the middle of the road here." And uh, and he said, "Well, that's because the pavement's everybody's sleeping." Oh, uh, and they they were literally, you know, just just like sardines. I mean, it was just lines, rows and rows of people, um, all 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 sleeping. Uh, and then you get to your hotel. It's a bit weird, to be honest. Um, I don't know how else other word to describe it. I don't mean that to be disrespectful, because I then turn up and I I. I shamefully um, checked in. It wasn't. It was booked in advance uh, by the company that I was working for. Um, you see, in this abject poverty, and then within two steps, I'm, I'm checking in to the best hotel I've ever stayed in in my life anywhere in the world. Uh, and you, it's just the difference between you know one one side to the other is it's it's extreme. Um, I, I know exactly what you mean. I've seen that myself, and it definitely. It definitely leaves a mark on you, I think, and it. Oh yes, I yeah. Think, I think it makes you appreciate your own country as well when you've seen something like that, because a lot of people moan about Britain and uh, you know all the things that are wrong with it, but we do have, we do live in a very wealthy country in many respects. You know, we are very, very. Well, at lucky. least there's a there's a there's a bit of balance. 
You know, yeah. I mean, obviously there are extremes, but predominantly it, it, it's the balance. Um, you almost feel embarrassed the, to be, you know, you're, you're looking out of the, the window uh, of this luxury, super luxury hotel, and you are looking at abject poverty. And, and I think it's because the two extremes are so close together there, it, it, it just... It's literally just it smacks you in the face. Anyway, that, that's the, the idea. Um, you know, everything's done and ready and uh, and written. Um, so it's it's trying to find a, a TV company now that, uh, you know, a few have said, oh, that's a very good idea. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it, it's just crossing that, uh, that final hurdle next where somebody goes, right, let's put that out. What about the possibility of um, getting it all produced independently and... Uh doing it that way rather because now now you could now you've got options open to you other than tv that you didn't really have years and years ago have you have you looked at that sort of avenue uh well yes i, I met a, a man who um i met him on a ship actually who was he was riding a motorbike around the world we'd become friends and uh and been out on our bikes together and, and one thing and other and uh quite quite unlikely this guy sort of he's at my age, mid to late forties, he was he had a successful uh, publishing business and uh, and sold it for a lot of money and has become hugely wealthy. Uh, and there he was. He, he spent the, a year. He, he was spending a year riding his motorbike uh, around the world, and uh, we got chatting and we talked about bikes and chore business and things. And uh, and I said, oh, I've got this uh, idea about going around India on the uh, on the bikes. And uh, and he said just that. He said, oh, he said I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for something to invest in. Um, I'd be willing to uh, you know to to put some money behind it to uh, to get it made. Um, and he sort of laughing. He said, but you know, so long as I can come with you. Uh, he said, I don't want to be in the program. I don't want to be filmed. I just want to ride my bike. You know, behind you guys uh just for the uh for the fun and adventure and uh, to see what you see do it do that that's so your answer. why don't you do that? it may, it may be that well it's 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 um it's it's taking a couple of months out um out of out of work um and to uh, to take the chance i suppose isn't it um unless i take a, a wage out of uh, out of it as well uh while we're doing it uh, and then you then you sit on it. Maybe uh, maybe that is the is the way forward. I, I am meeting up with this said chappy in a couple of weeks' time to uh, to ride our bikes. Um, so I might say to him, look, you know, nobody's bitten yet. Um, how about we uh, we go independent, make it ourselves, and uh, and then take the finished product to the uh, to the TV companies and say they are. Do you want to show that for us? That's the way to do it, I reckon. I'll just go straight to DVD. Yeah, that's true. It's that that's it now. There's the the access to to the to the technology now to make TV programs is so widespread that you can do stuff much cheaper than you could say 15 years ago. I mean, you could you, you know the cameras that you need for broadcast. Yeah, everything's digital. It's changed everything. I think you should just do it independently. Just just sack the TV companies off. They're all rubbish anyway. Just make a finished product. And then go around all the TV stations saying, right, who wants this? Who's going to bid for it? That's the way you should do yeah, it. Yeah, that's the way I'll do it then. That's it. That's it. Do it <laughs> I've got to go way. now. I'm off to India. Nick has spoken. Nick, Nick has <laughs> Well, I'm serious, though. You know, that's that's. I've lost all faith in TV stations and the people that run them. I just think they're useless because there's nothing good on television. It's getting to the point where people have to make the content themselves. You know, you look on YouTube and there are, there are videos on YouTube of such a high standard. It's, yeah. it, it, do, do you know what I mean? It's getting to that level where there's a massive shift in where people are getting their entertainment content from. And the TV stations are just losing touch, I think. You know. You're actually, the revolution starts here. This is it, yeah. And someone like you with your background and your contacts, you can make it happen. You could you could start a new wave of doing things, you know. Is it, are you are you my dad putting a voice on? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm just very passionate about um, this sort of stuff because that was that was my sort of uh, area of, of interest when I went to university. But um, anyway, never mind about that. 
How how have you always been interested in uh, bikes, or is this something quite new? Or, um, oh, it, it goes back to uh, Barry Sheen, I think, for me. Ah, the Silver um, Dream Machine. Back in uh, back in the seventies, um, you know, when he was, uh, uh, I, I don't think there's anybody, you know, back in the seventies, it was Barry Sheen who was the, you know, the the world champion, um, but he was also. Um, I suppose what they call a crossover star now is that the, the term for it, because apart from that he was he was on television shows, uh, he was doing TV commercials, and uh, he was uh, you know posters and magazines. I think he did the old uh, splash it all over. I think it was uh, Barry Sheen and Henry Cooper that were doing the uh, the brute aftershave mm. adverts, and so you know as a I don't know, 12, 13 year old boy. Uh, he is this man who, who he, he, he's, I either see him riding a, a, a big motorcycle uh, or surrounded by beautiful, glamorous women. Uh, and I thought, that's for me. Cool. Um, what bike so, have you uh, got? Uh, at the moment, it's, a, it's called the BMW, <gasps> well, we know that bit. Um, it's a BMW. Um, R1100R. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? You're pretending um, you know about No, no, that, that's the one I like. Yeah. I want to ask you about technology. Right. What's oh, your, I'm an expert. What's your view on it? On technology? Do you love it? Do I love it? Do you, um, do you love no. it? Do you love it, though? <laughs> <laughs> no. You don't love uh, technology? It's all a mystery. Are you it's a all a mystery. So you're a technophobe? Um, no, I mean I'm I'm on Twitter. I um, tweeted you this morning. Did you get my tweet? Uh, you tweeted this morning. Uh, I, I said I saw a picture of you with a with a CD. Yes. He's oh, it's working. Then, it's, it's working. It's working. Saying some, you were if you're looking pale, it's it's because uh, you're nervous. You you're nervous because you're getting ready to interview uh, me. Yeah. You, yeah. Exactly. Because we got the Kim Wilde album, and uh, yes. we were having a listen to it. It's very good. You should get it. Have you Have, have you, you got a new album? Yeah, she's got an album out. It's not a new, is it? It's 2011. But it's brilliant. It's, uh, it's an album of cover versions. But anyway, we don't want to talk about Kim Wilde. I want to know, how did you get into Twitter if, if, you're, not, if you're a technophobe? What do you do it on? Do you go on the computer um, or have you got it on your phone? What? I've got it on the laptop and on my phone. And are you an, are you an Apple person or a Windows person? Uh, a Windows person. Windows, you see. Runs oh, in the family. Uh, although, having said that, I mean, my computer's Windows, but uh, I have got an iPhone. Oh, so a bit of both. So I, I am, uh, I, I'm, I'm an Apple window, yes. He's an Apple window. He's an, he's a Windle. Yeah, a, a, a Wapple. A Wapple. A Whipple. <laughs> so you're not really big on technology then? Uh, no, it's, it's fine so long as it's working. And if somebody says to me, this is this is what you do, uh, and this is you know if you if you do that and do that and do that, that will work, and that's fine by me. Um, unfortunately, though, the minute you you know you you press buttons A, B, and C, and if it doesn't work, then I'm afraid it, I want to throw it out the window. Now your username um, is uh, Martin Daniels ninety nine on Twitter, so that if people want to get yes. follow you, they can do that. Um, why Martin Daniels 99? Is yeah, that... did you try Martin Daniels 1, Martin Daniels 2? <laughs> did you just keep going until you found a free one? Um, well, I, I, well I, I just tried with, I started with Martin Daniels and then there was various, uh, it says, it, it says, no, that one's, that one's taken. Um, the, and there was, there was various options to, uh, that, that, that come on offer. Was it a suggestion, was it, from uh, Twitter themselves? I think so. It was sort of, you know, do you want to choose from one of these? Um, and so I thought, well, rather than random numbers, I thought, oh, 99, that's, uh, that's all right. That's a nice ice cream. Um, and so I picked, I picked that and thought, you know, I'll tweet with a flake in it and, uh, and that'll be all right. Now, if people want to hear you at the moment, you're always on the radio. I am spasmodic at the moment oh. um, because I... That sounds painful. Yeah, I used to do five days a week. Um uh, on a on a BBC station, and uh, and again, look at the draw. Um, the BBC, uh, certainly in in radio and in, in, a, in a lot of a lot of things, had a, a major cull a couple of years ago. Um, every local station had to make massive financial cutbacks. Uh, there was redundancies and 
and, and such like across all the stations. Some of the radio stations um, were cut back so much that the regions had to join together. So two counties would, uh, you know, then joined up. Was that so that they could uh, afford to pay Jonathan Ross six million pounds a year? Uh, no, that was <laughs> that was so they could afford to to do this new everything's going digital. Oh, that this this project that they spent a hundred million pounds on and then went. Uh, uh, oh, uh, hang on a minute. This uh, that, that's not working, is it? Um, right, we'll stop that. Oh dear. And, uh, and so, so yeah, that was that was that. But I, I was on uh, BBC Radio Lincolnshire for a couple of years, uh, and again, as the only freelancer there, um, I was one that was easy to uh, to get rid of, despite the ratings. Um, so, so now, just to sort of, I enjoy radio. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, sort of to keep my uh, my hand in, as it were. I do holiday cover. Um, and sickness cover for people. Um, I've got four stations near me, Radio BBC, they're all BBC ones, Radio Lincolnshire, uh, Radio Sheffield, Radio Derby and Radio Humberside. We had James Whale on a few weeks ago and you've been yes. on his show. What was that like? Uh, I've been on his, I've been on the James Whale, the, the TV show. Yeah. Uh, one that we did. Um, I've been out a couple of times. Uh, I I quite liked it. I've got to say, I enjoyed the experience. I enjoyed meeting him. I thought it was. I didn't know. I could just try to think when it was. Um, but you know, he, at the time, I think he was doing talk radio, as it was, it was called, uh, when the the TV show started. And and he had this sort of reputation as the guy who was um, who was who was rude to people. He would tell them to sod off and hang up the phone and cut them off and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, you know, what's the sky going to be like? Um, <laughs> of course, you know, when you meet these people, totally charming, totally nice, totally professional, good at his job. Um, and then the second time I think I went on, he invited me back on, on the show, uh, was something a little bit different. Uh, and they had a, a, a one series where they got people on as a, you were the guest floor manager. Um, and that being, you know, you're the ones that you, you stand just off the camera with the, well, a normal floor manager would, and you've got the headphones on and you are almost a link between the studio and, and the gallery and, so, but we did that with it, uh, with everything being on air. Me interrupting, saying, "Right, stop there. We need to go to a commercial break." And or, you know, right, hold it. That interview's gone far enough. We're running out of time. Do this. Ask that question there. There's a competition, and it was just just loose and loose and live. So, uh, I enjoyed the experience. Brilliant. Cool. Have you got any more questions for Martin? Rob? No, I'm I'm happy. I know. Have I, Martin? I I think we've uh, we've ran out of things to talk to you about. I don't know. I don't know where else we can go. We've been on for well, over an hour. Do you know right. that we've been on the phone with you for almost an hour and a half. I was going to say, you, I'm, I'm sure that um, I got a, a message saying, uh, "Can we can we talk to you for 15 minutes?" That was me. Yeah, that's how we lure people yeah. in. Well, um, that's how it works. But uh, you know, so so I think uh, no, no. I think I think you've we've. Uh, I would call that extensive, wouldn't you? The thing is now that we've got to now edit this down to 15 minutes. That's the challenge. Oh, is that what it is? God, guys. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll have an extended <laughs> podcast this week. <laughs> oh, hey, nice. Well, it, no, I've enjoyed that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Martin. Um, uh, it's been you. a real pleasure talking to you. It really has. I'm, I'm going to go and uh, tinker in the garage because that's what I like to do. Well, keep and, us posted. Uh, we'll, we'll look out for updates on the documentary on Twitter. I'm gonna. I'm Smash gonna. It, yes. I'm gonna start following you on Twitter so I can see what's happening. Right. And if are we, you not following me? I am. No, I. I, yeah. I. I'm not. I'm new to Twitter. I've only just started with Twitter A week recently, ago. so I'm. I'm uh, still getting the hang. Do you not of it. understand the? Te- do you not understand the technology? Would you well, like me to explain it to you? <laughs> no, it's okay. It just took me a while to get into it. I'm only following yeah. four people at the moment. Martin, yeah. thank you very All much right, for your time. Cheers now. It's been a pleasure. Have a good day. Sure, for now. Bye bye. Cheers now. Bye bye. Bye bye. You're listening to the Dead Air Podcast with Nick and Rob. La da 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 da. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that.
Yeah, me too. It was a very interesting interview with a very interesting man. He uh, he took us in a lot of different directions, actually. Some people just think that Martin Daniels is the son of Paul Daniels. But as we've uh, just heard, there's loads more to Martin Daniels. Been on loads of shows, worked on loads of shows, tours all over the world. He's just amazing. Indeed. And I felt that the interview was quite serious in some places as well. It was a bit of a deviation for us because we're usually just larking around and messing about. You are listening to the Dead Air Podcast. Have we got any news that we could squeeze in in this bit? The only bit of news I can think of to mention is that the Xbox people have changed their mind about you being able to give your games to your friends when you've finished playing them. That'd be Microsoft then. Yeah, Microsoft. They also make Windows 8. And Windows 8's new version came out this week as well with the start button. That doesn't exist. It's a button. It's not a menu. Mm. There's a difference. So I'm waiting for Windows 8.2. Has it actually come out, or is that just a preview version's come out? Um, oh, now I'm not sure. We've got it, so I just assume everyone else has got it as well. Okay, it's a preview version then. Okay. We get stuff before other people, don't we? Yes. Yeah, I forgot about that. You, the rest of you will get that soon. But we're waiting for version 8.2, which I've heard is going to be called okay we're sorry we admit it we made a mistake have your flipping menu back <laughs> so uh other news we went to see superman oh yes of course we were going to review the man of steel yeah i think we should keep that for next week's podcast okay also next week we will be interviewing henry cavill the actor who played superman really well i'm gonna try and pull some strings this week and see if i can get it, as an interview it took me a few months to get martin on the show yeah don't worry i'll get henry cavill in a few days okay he's not as big as martin don't forget to check us out on twitter and facebook you can find the links to our twitter and facebook pages on our website which is www.deadairwebsite.com till next week bye bye You are listening to the Dead Air Podcast. For more information, go to www.deadairwebsite.com. I've got a new kind of joke for you. Okay. It's a new knock-knock joke. You start. Okay. Knock-knock. Who's there? Rob. That's not how... I didn't think it was going to go that way. I've got a new kind of knock-knock joke. You start. Knock-knock. Who's there? Henry. That's... It's not working. You're supposed to get confused and not know what to say. Okay. Do it to me. Knock, knock. <laughs> no. I've got a new knock, knock joke. You start. Knock, knock. Who's there? Uh, I don't know. I don't know who. You're, you're, you're rubbish at this part. I'm getting someone new next week.